I'm going to read from John chapter 4. Now he had to go back through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world.
Thank you, Ellis. Just before we pray, uh, I just want to say a few words to embarrass Mike. Um, he won't like it because he doesn't like being thanked, but I want to thank you, Mike, uh, for so many things. I want to thank you for being a good friend for many, many years. You know, it's a, it's a huge, huge blessing when you have a friend who makes you proud to be a Christian, glad to be a Christian. Um, Mike mentioned it, but Liz and I have got to know Mike, actually not quite since the days of Noah. Um, I think we first met 17 years ago. But over that time, we got to know each other pretty well. And I've had a chance to see what Mike is like when no one's looking. I tell you, he's exactly the same as what he's like when everyone's looking. He's consistent and he's kind, and he's always looking to listen to the Lord Jesus and to see God come and move by his spirit. And we just want to say thank you, Mike, and thank you for engaging in this venture with us at St. Michael's, and thank you for the team that you bring and uh, the hope that you put in our heart. We're very, very grateful. Let's pray that God will speak to us from his word. Would you join me in praying? Father God, thank you for your word before us tonight. Thank you for this story of an event that really happened. Thank you for your encounter with a Samaritan woman. And we pray that as we look at what you said to her, it would be as if you're speaking to us and we would grow closer to you and let you get to work in our lives. Please take what I've prepared and use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most likely, this encounter that you just had read is pretty familiar to you. It, it's a passage that people love to read because it's so vivid. It, it's very, very easy just to imagine that we're there, eavesdropping, overhearing this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And it's packed with detail. And just recently, just last week, in fact, Liz, my wife, and I, got well stuck into a Netflix program called The Lincoln Lawyer. I don't know if any of you have seen this. Uh, yeah, one or two of you are nodding. Uh, well, basically, it's a gripping yarn. And uh, it's an incredibly improbable plot. And if you're a lawyer, you would probably write it off as garbage from the very first moment. But you probably carry on watching because although you know it's highly implausible and pretty much rubbish, you're totally gripped to know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, and then the next five minutes, then the next five minutes, until you've spent hours of your life watching The Lincoln Lawyer. And without giving away anything at all, the main character is a lawyer who drives a Lincoln car, and much of the Netflix series is spent with him raking over the same facts again and again and again, hoping the penny will drop hoping that he'll see something new in this evidence. And I think this story is a bit like that, as I've lived with this story now for quite some time, and in preparing this talk, have mulled it over and thought it through all over again. And reliving this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I think there's a lot more going on than you see first time around, or second time around, in fact, many times around. And the first thing I want to highlight is this. Jesus 
really wanted this conversation with the woman. He really, really wanted it to happen. He's determined to make it happen. So much so that he goes out of his way to make this encounter happen. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know it because of what John records for us in verses 3 and 4 of this episode. He writes, John writes, So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. That's what John says. But do you know something? He didn't. He didn't have to go through Samaria. There were many, many other routes that he could have taken. So, is John's geography faulty here? Does he kind of fail geography GCSE, I wonder? Or is it like Google Maps failed him or Waze failed him? If it was Waze failed him, I could say, quote Isaiah and say, your Waze is not my Waze, says the Lord. But, of course, we know that's not true. So, why did Jesus have to go through this route to Samaria? John's geography isn't letting him down. It's his knowledge of Jesus' heart that makes him write this sentence, why he has to go through Samaria. Because he has to go through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. And if he's going to meet this woman at the well and he's going to have a conversation, he's got to go out of his way to make it happen. And that's exactly what he does. And he goes, it's pinpointed where he goes. He goes to this little village called Sychar, and he goes to Jacob's well. And he parks himself at the well in the heat of the day, and he's absolutely knackered. He's exhausted and clobbered. Jesus, tired as he was from a journey. If ever you doubt that Jesus is a real human being, that shows you. He, 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 he got tired and exhausted in the middle of the day where it's stifling hot. He sits down by this well. There's a conversation Jesus is just longing to have with this woman. And it struck me again and again as I thought about it, this is a conversation he's longing to have with you and me as well, and with our friends. But it didn't start well, this conversation. In fact, I can't think of how a conversation could start any worse. Jesus is sitting there, and this woman comes to the well, and she looked at this man who's exhausted, and when he speaks to her, she's as rude as she possibly can be. She hasn't got a good thing to say to Jesus. And she's none too friendly when he tries to open a conversation. I don't know any way of reading what she says without it sounding hostile. Do you? Jesus just says to her six words in English, three words in, in Greek. Give me a drink, would you? And she just says... You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John puts in brackets, because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. I think what she says to him, in two words, is get lost. Get lost. Don't you have eyes to see? There are so many reasons that you and I shouldn't be talking to each other. You're a man, I'm a woman. What do you think you're doing opening a conversation with me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. What do you think you're doing breaking that boundary down. So how can you ask me for a drink? Now, Jesus, when he talks to the woman, 
isn't talking to her because he hasn't noticed that she's a woman or a Samaritan. It's not that he's not observant enough. He's seen all these things, but he's seen through all these things. He's seen through the outside appearance right to her heart. And here's what he says to her, and here's what he'd say to us tonight. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's standing in front of you, you would have asked him and he would have changed your life from the inside out. Now, it's a quirky thing to find that I find myself vicar of St. Michael's Jester Square because back in the day when I had just become a Christian in 1980, uh, this was my home church. And I used to come along here in the mornings and the evening, and um, I was by far the youngest member of the congregation, apart from about three others. And every so often, about once a month, they used to have a church lunch, and it was in the side chapel over there. And sort of, I don't think I'm being disloyal or letting too many cats out of the bag, but it was a real struggle to come to this church lunch when you're in your early 20s, and apart from two or three people, everyone else is kind of 40 or 50 years older. And also church lunches back in those days, you know, the food wasn't that great. And sort of week by week by week, I, I would come along, at, or month by month anyway, I'd come along until one particular Sunday. And I do remember saying in my prayers, this is probably the last church lunch of St. Michael's I'm going to. Help God. Well, I, I went over and it was normal lunch. And just after lunch had started, a rather old man came in. And it, it was midsummer. It was very hot. And this elderly man came in, and he, he looked incredibly disheveled. And he looked like he'd hit really hard times. And even though it was a very, very hot evening, he, he was, or, or lunch, he, he was wearing a very thick and rather moth-eaten overcoat. And I happened to have listened to a program on the radio, Desert Island Discs, actually, where the ambassador to Washington, D.C. had been giving an interview. And he'd said, you know, in the course of a year, I go out for over 330 engagements, and I meet a lot of people. And he was asked, well, how, how do you keep interested when you meet that many people? And he said, well, I play a little game in my head. I, it said that everyone's got a book in them. And basically, I take a look at them and I ask whoever I'm next to as many questions as I can until I unlock the book that's in them. So I thought, I'll try it with this man sitting next to me. And it was quite difficult. I don't remember the whole of the conversation right now, but I suspect we started with the weather, because where else would you start? Of course, you start with the weather. And, uh, you know, we said a little bit about the weather. And then we might have talked about politics for a bit, but he looked so bored, we switched from that. And then we might have talked about world events, and he looked more bored still, so I had to switch from that. And then we switched to sport. And then I asked him, because Wimbledon was going on, are you at all interested in tennis? And he looked at me and very quietly and very gently in a very understated sort of way. He said, young man, that was me then, Young man, would it interest you to know that I played twice in the women's, in, sorry, twice in Wimbledon's, in Wimbledon's men's single final? 
And I looked at him anew. And uh, he was very old. And his name, his curious name, was Bunny Austin. And he played in the final in 1932 and 1938. It was 75 years before Andrew Murray got to a final to be the next Brit to do so. And in that conversation, I kind of hit the jackpot. Now, to update the illustration, just suppose that tonight Emma Raducanu walked in and she's sort of sitting somewhere in the congregation, but you don't recognize her. And so you have a conversation with her. What does she think about the war in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. I think afterwards you think that's a bit of a wasted opportunity. Or about 10 days ago, I went and saw this incredible pianist play at the festival hall. And her, her fingers moved so fast, you just couldn't see. It was like, like they defied your eyesight. She was incredible. And if she was here tonight, and we just said to her, oh, oh would you like to help give out the drinks at the back? It would, it would be a missed opportunity. I'd be pulling out the piano and saying, give us a recital. What Jesus is saying to this woman at the well is, lady, if you knew who it was who's in front of you, you could have a, a serious conversation that would change your life forever. Don't miss it. Don't ask me to give out the drinks at the back. Don't ask me to play the piano. I can do more for you than that, and your life will change. If you had any idea who it is that's talking to you, you could have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the thing is, many people that I meet have no idea. And there was a time in my life I had no idea who this Jesus is and was. And the very first step to discovering is about Christianity is you have to be prepared to look into this guy, Jesus. And you have to be prepared to let him come near to you. I think the easiest way is actually to read a gospel about him. I, I was invited to read John's gospel, but sometimes you can pick something up from hearing people speak about him. And you look at him and you look at what he does, and he's breaking into this woman's life saying, if only you knew. And I want to say just something in this section about what the woman tries to do, which you and I shouldn't try and do. She tries to shut him up. Don't decide in advance you don't want to listen to Jesus. That's a mistake. And if you are a follower of Jesus, don't decide in advance who he's going to talk to because you don't know. I mean, I know, humanly speaking, there are some of your friends you cannot imagine in a month of Sundays them becoming followers of Christ. But there is no one who is too far away from God to become a follower of Christ. I'm told that my sister-in-law prayed for me for years before I became a Christian. I'm told that she prayed for everything else first, but the last line of her prayers for years was, and Lord, when it comes to Rupert, I just don't know what to say. And that was her prayer for years. Well, it seems to have worked. Have you got any idea what God can do for you? I was having this conversation with a friend back at university. It was a conversation that was an argument, really. And I was trying to talk her out of being a Christian. And she just asked a very simple question. Have you ever read an account of Jesus' life for yourself? And then she added this little sentence. Because 
the thing you attack and the person I love are miles apart, miles apart. And she said, Rupert, you don't have to do this, but really, if you want to have a conversation about Christianity, you need to discover who this Jesus is. Read an account of his life. And when I read an account of his life, and as I go on reading accounts of his life, do you know how you can summarize what he came for? This is how Luke summarizes it. God has come to help his people. I love that. That's just one of Luke's comments. He just says, at the end of the day, people said about Jesus, God has come to help his people. And it's true. And even tonight, you know, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if there were some people sitting here tonight, and it's like privately on the inside, you're almost at a place of giving up. It's been such a, a challenging couple of years for nearly everybody. It's been so hard to stay connected with church. It's been so difficult to keep one's walk with God going. And there are so many reasons for being discouraged. But don't forget this. It's like God has come to help his people. And although I don't know the secrets of your heart, God does. And as you walk through this door, and whoever walks through this door, I know God has come to help his people. There are no exceptions to that. And if you think it sounds a bit one-sided and you say, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound a very mature reason for approaching God, I agree with you, it isn't, to get something out of him. But it's acceptable. It's how many people turn to him for life. And let's see what happens. Jesus says to this woman, and I, I know he'd say it to us, I know all about your life. I know all about your life and the way it's turned out and not turned out. And it doesn't keep me away. Now, the conversation that Jesus has with her, I think, is so personal that it had to be held in private. I don't think it's a coincidence that he sent the disciples packing. They're they're not there. It's a one-to-one conversation. And the beginning of it, as we've looked at, just sounds great. You know, if you ask, I can give you refreshment. I can change it from the inside out. What's not to like? I can give you living water. But the middle bit of the conversation is this private bit of conversation, and, and it's going to be deeply personal. And it's like he reads her mail. You know, I, I am not following the Wagga for Christie trial, but if you were following it, you would be reading private WhatsApps now blazoned all over the world. And it's like in this conversation, Jesus is showing you the WhatsApp account of this woman. And he says to her, go and get your husband and come back. And the moment he says that, it's like pouring vinegar on an open wound. And Jesus knows it, and the woman knows it. And she just says, I've got no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say that. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have isn't your husband. And you have to scratch your head and think, well, is Jesus being unkind here? There is a certain way you can read that, a certain inflection, where it can sound rather brutal. But I'm certain that isn't how Jesus spoke it to her. We've got a saying, haven't we, that hurt people hurt people. And this woman is incredibly hurt. Her self-esteem is shot to pieces. And now I think we're discovering why she lashed out to Jesus in the very first place. 
Because how do you think you live life when your relationship with five men have failed and you've been trashed five times? She had to drag herself to this well in the middle of the day because I don't think she wanted the company of anyone else. And the last thing she wants is a conversation with a man. And one of the things that I think we need to know is that every single one of us will have conversations with Jesus like this. They will start so promising. We'll begin to get a glimpse of what it is that he offers us. And as he said, fullness of life, forgiveness, a great life. And it's like he can stand in front of me pretty much every day and say, Rupert, if you knew more about who I am and what I can do, you could have asked me and I would have been able to do so much more. And that's true. But it still sounds good to me to get to know him and let him near. But then the tone will change. And he'll say, and Rupert, while we're talking to each other, let's have a chat about this part of your life that needs to change. And I'll think, oh, do we have to? And, and so I'll give you an example. Because quite recently he said to me, uh, you see, your attitude to Mike isn't right. And I said, oh, isn't it? He said, no. It's not everything it could be. So I thought, why not? And he said, well, I've, it's like this imaginary conversation in my head. It's like, God says, well, I've noticed you're in awe of him. You're more worried about what he'll think of this talk than you are what I think about this talk. And that's not good enough. You see, Reuben, in case you haven't noticed, I'm your God, not Mike. <laughs> so that's got to change. You've got to change. Well, that was fairly easy. I said, okay, I'll remember that. And actually, Mike agrees with you. Um, but then it goes on. Now we've dealt with that. Let's talk about this part of your life that needs to change. And everything that God wants to change in my life and your life, he wants to change for the better. And that's what's going on in this conversation. He's saying to this woman, look, I will give you living water. I do have good things, but you're going to have to put some things down in order to pick these things up. And that is the pattern of daily life when you follow Christ. And for some tonight, you're going to have to put down a disappointment with God over recent months and let him deal with it and pick up the new life he wants to give. You know, it's a bit like hinges on a door, two hinges on a door. You could, you could say one of those hinges is called turn around and the other one's called trust. Or if you want to use old-fashioned language, repentance and faith. So here's a quick recap. Jesus says to her, you want living water? Come to me and get it. But you're going to have to put down some things in order to get it. And I've got two very brief points to make before I wrap up, or as a friend would say, I'm coming into land. And they go like this. Thanks to this conversation, we know that God the Father plays hide and seek, or actually more accurately, seek and seek. This woman in the conversation tries to see Jesus off by putting up a difficult question. He, she says, should we be worshipping on this mountain or in Jerusalem like you Jews do? And Jesus says, where you worship, lady, is neither here nor there. It's much more important that what you worship, you do with genuine integrity from your heart. 
in spirit and in truth. And then he says, these are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. You know, there used to be a bumper sticker that said, carpenter seeks joiners. But actually, I think it's more accurate to say, Jesus is saying to us, will you join my worship team? And this is a wonderful, wonderful offer that he says to this woman. And I've heard so many people say it, but I still want to say it myself. We all worship something. You know, it's not like you just mosey through life on neutral. Every single one of us worships something. And you can find out what you worship easily. Turn to a friend and just say, what is it that I talk about most? What is it that I spend my time on? Where is it that my money goes? What you talk about most and what you spend your time and what you talk about and invest in that is what you worship. And for many, it's their families, it's their work, it's their holidays, it's a golf handicap, it's social media presence, etc., etc., etc. But I want to say, don't get found out at the end of your life or even the middle of your life holding on to the wrong things. For this woman, she invested her hope in relationships. She hoped so much that the next man would be the right man. And she thought that that would bring her fulfillment, but it didn't. And five times out of five, it was a complete disaster. And the more she got married, the more wounded she became. Until she meets Jesus and somehow he gets through her defenses and says, I've got good news for you. I know about the mess, but I can bring healing to you. And this woman ends the story a winner, a complete winner. She goes from stranger to life changer. The whole village comes to Jesus because of her. And there are just little hints which is fascinating that her life's now on a different trajectory. You know, she leaves that water jar behind. It's a little detail, but it's hard not to be moved by it. And there's something very touching that she so impacts Jesus that he completely rewrites his itinerary and he spends an extra couple of days in this village. And it, it's wonderful that she's now remembered as the woman that brought a whole village to Christ. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of a woman's testimony. But here's the thing I like best. She is totally healed of her shame. She is totally healed of her shame. How, how do I know that? Well, it might dawn on you that since the disciples weren't there, the only people who overheard this conversation were Jesus and the woman. And I don't think Jesus would have talked to the disciples about the conversation. He would have respected her privacy. But she did. Just like she told that village, he told me everything I'd ever done. Because she knew the difference that Jesus' love was making to her life. She was completely forgiven. All the things she previously had been embarrassed about, she now knew they'd been lifted off her through Jesus Christ. She was healed of her shame. And so I'm sure she told John. As I come to finish, I just want to point out Everything that happened at that well in Samaria can happen here at St. Mike's and in Soul Survivor Watford. A place where people can discover who Jesus is, like the woman discovered who Jesus is. A place where you can come and I can come to be refreshed by God's Holy Spirit 
and receive that living water. A place where Jesus has permission to talk right into your life in a very personal and private way and to invite us to follow him all over again. A place where we can worship in spirit and in truth. And a place where we have a part to play in sharing what we know of him. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Let's, let's pray for a moment. Let's wait upon the Lord and see what he might want to say and how to apply this to our lives. Would you just be still and we'll ask God to speak. Lord Jesus, thank you for this encounter. Thank you that you were so determined to meet this woman. You went out of your way. And thank you that you saw not just what she looked like from the outside, but you saw the secrets of her heart on the inside. And you were generous and kind and forgiving and full of hope. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, just come now and minister to us.